It's always good to be with the congregation here. You are so supportive and uh, you just encourage a lot, even by your attitude, your acceptance of the things that are taught, and I personally appreciate it. The text this morning was very ably read just a moment ago. I'll not reread it. But I do want to zero in on verse 16 of the text. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Need I tell you that that King of Kings is none other than Jesus our Savior. A king refers to one who reigns, who has authority, who has power to rule. Jesus, right after John was imprisoned in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, went into Galilee and began to proclaim that the time was at hand for the kingdom of God was near. That was Mark 1, 14 and 15. In John chapter 18, we find Jesus being interrogated by Pilate. And in verse 33, Pilate asks him, it says uh, that he entered the praetorium, asks him, who are you are king of the Jews? He just, that's a question. Jesus answered that in verse 36, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. It had begun about a thousand years before, as David had written in Psalm 2, which is clearly a messianic psalm. He had written uh, in verse 9, He shall rule with an iron scepter. A phrase that is repeated three times in the book of Revelation, and one of those was verse 15 of our text, that he would rule. I go to Daniel chapter 7 as I'm establishing the fact of Jesus' kingship. And here we find Jesus' carnation, as it's oftentimes called. And I'm reading now Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Keep looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people's nations and men of every nation might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. We now know that that Ancient of Days is God Almighty himself. And that kingdom he was talking about is the church. Jesus is today King Jesus. He's not going to be king. 
He is king. And everyone who becomes a Christian, according to Colossians 1, 13 and 14, is translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we are a part of that kingdom. All who claim to be Christians should be able to sing the song that's in number 332 of our songbook. It says, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory thee. I'm now going to tell you a true story of relatively recent origin. For those of you who read the Christian Chronicle, this story appeared in the February, and then again there was another article in the, in the March issue, 2007. It had a picture of a man by the name of Adam Langford. Some of you may remember it was telling of the tragic death on January 16, 2007, of this young 28-year-old brother in Christ. Adam Langford was raised in Oklahoma City. He, as a teenager, went on a high school trip to Honduras, and the poor of that country stole his heart. He later would graduate. He then, as a 28-year-old young man, had already established himself with a very lucrative job, making a six-figure income as he was uh, as he would write his brother Ben, he says, I have been helping rich people get richer, but I've not been doing anything for the poor. And so Adam Langford, at the age of 28, left that lucrative job to go to Uganda to help with the poor in Uganda. There was a dedicated native brother by the name of Brother Kamizi, who was training Adam Langford for the source ministry. Brother Kamizi and Brother Adam hired a truck driver, and they went up on Mount Elgon to bring back coffee and supplies for the ministry. We think that the brakes went out on the truck as they were trying to negotiate a hairpin curve and they went off the side of the mountain to the death of all three. A week after brother Adam's death, his brother Ben Langford, who now works for Oklahoma Christian, I saw him just this last Tuesday, know him personally, addressed the OC student body and told the story of his brother Adam's life. He said that according to a Pew survey, their generation was most concerned about getting rich and being famous. He closed that chapel talk at Oklahoma Christian with a passionate appeal to strive for something higher and to serve the poor of the world. Then, as he was closing, he said this. And I want this to set the stage for, emotionally, the mood for the rest of my remarks this morning. He said, Adam died on Tuesday night. 
And on Wednesday, he was supposed to go and see the king of Uganda to talk about the ministry. He said, the last text that I received from Adam before he died was, I'm going to see the king tomorrow. He saw the king, all right. It wasn't the king of Uganda. It was King Jesus. There is a song, number 989. And I've asked our brother to lead that song now, and I want us all to sing it. As we talk about the fact, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. 989. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. No more crying there. We are set the mood for the sermon now. The big question is, what can we learn from Adam Langford's commitment and untimely death? The very first major point is, use what you have while you have it. You will be glad you did. Use your life in meaningful pursuits. Don't Allow your life to pass by in just the mundane. Once we figure out what our grace gifts are, let's then begin to use them. We should want to glorify our God every day that we live. Philippians 1 verse 20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be magnified, one translation says, exalted by, in my body by life or by death. First Peter 4 and verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various form. So I ask you, what are you doing with your one 
and only life. Are you spending your life selfishly just thinking about what you can do for yourself? Doonesbury cartoon tells of a young man. His father was on his deathbed. It was pretty apparent. And he said to his father, let's just talk, Dad. I don't know much about you. There's so much I want to know. Tell me the whole arc of your life. The dad said, I was born. I made a bunch of money. And now I'm dying. And then with almost bitterness and regret, he said, cute arc, huh? That was his life. That was it. I ask you, according to Matthew 6, 19 and 20, are you laying up for yourselves riches and the such where thieves break through and destroy and all of that? Or are you laying up in heaven treasures that will not be, uh, that will not be uh, taken care of by thieves and the such? Are you using your life as a stepping stone for others, or are you tearing them down? Now, here comes the zinger. I've asked several questions. Actually, this is the zinger. It's not a question. The world will either be better off because you have lived in it, or it will be better off when you leave it. You may not like that, but I believe that it's true. The measure of a, a person's life is the good that they have done with their life. I want you to think about it. Jesus lived 33 years. Adam Langford didn't live that long, only 28. But don't you know that today, in eternity, Adam Langford is thankful for the decisions that he made and the way he used his life. Life used serving God brings no regret. Hebrews 6 and verse 10 tells us God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Revelation 14:13 says blessed are those who die in the Lord says the spirit that they may rest from their works and their labors do follow them. Now comes another major point. Life at best is brief. Psalms 90 and verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Two passages from the book of Ecclesiastes now. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 12. Solomon speaks of life as consisting of a few days that pass like a shadow. Now, we sing the song, Just a Few More Days. Okay, we sing that song. But I'm telling you that life is just like a shadow also. Uh, James spoke of it as a vapor, and we're familiar with that, more familiar. Uh, James 4.14, what is your life? Even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. The other passage is Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2. 
And here's one that I had overlooked for many years, but I've got it underlined now, and I'd, I'd advise you to do the same. Ecclesiastes 7, 2. Death is the destiny of every man. We know it better as Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed to man wants to die, a divine appointment that we will definitely uh, keep. The Bible, history repeatedly all confirmed the fact that life is all too brief at best. There is a woman... Joanne Didion, whose uh, article appeared in the, uh, in the uh, AARP magazine. And she tells of a personal tragedy, uh, the death of her husband and the debilitating, uh, life-threatening illness of her only daughter. And uh, she told of how to gain ba- go back to her sanity... She began to write, and she wrote a book entitled Magical Thinking. And the first four lines that she wrote the night that her husband died, as she was was sitting there trying to get her mind around it, she just wrote down, Life changes fast. Life changes in an instant. You sit down to dinner, and life as you know it ends. It is true. One day my heart is going to stop, but at that point I will be in endless eternity because life will not stop, really. God wants us to practice on earth what we will be practicing in eternity. Think about it. Life is just a dress rehearsal for the real thing. I want you to think seriously now. What are you using your life for? Now, we come to the last major point of the lesson. And that is, we are going to see the king. And the big question is, are you ready? Can you speak with absolute confidence? I am ready to see the king. King Jesus, come. I am prepared. I'll go back now in my mind, and some of you older ones will remember this incident. It has affected my life since 1963. It has gone down in history of the church as the tragedy, the OC tragedy of 1963. (laughs) That time was when four students from Oklahoma Christian, the wife of one of the professors and their two-year-old little daughter, were all killed tragically. The senior, and in fact it took one person from every grade at Oklahoma Christian. The senior was Jerry Wheeler. Jerry had been in my suite in college. The junior was Janice Novak, and I had dated her once. She was a very, very sweet girl. And three of these four, incidentally, were from Wichita. The sophomore was Karen Hedrick. The only one that I did not know was uh, Sharon Stewart, and she is 
was the daughter of the famous Ivan Stewart of the uh, uh, OBS campaigns. And then there was the wife of Phil Watson, one of my former professors, and their little daughter. They were coming back from Hera on a Wednesday night. Jerry, who had bad eyes, was driving. It was raining. They hit a train, and the rest is history. I'll never forget leaving Elk City, Oklahoma, going back on my way to Isabel, Kansas, where I was just a young preacher. I was in my only year at Isabel. And I'll never forget as long as I live. I had KOMA on. That radio station said, Oklahoma Christian is a small school. And when tragedy half strikes, it hurts. Dead. And he started naming those names. And I had just been to OC the day before. And I had spoken personally to Jerry Wheeler. And now he's dead. I came to that funeral, the old Cleveland Avenue Church of Christ. Brother James O'Baird wrote in the February 1964 20th Century Christian, one lesson stands out particularly. As a Christian accomplishes good with his life, so a Christian is a blessing in his death. Brother Bayard related how that a leader from a distant church said that the tragedy, quote, it has affected our entire congregation for good. One woman mused, wasn't it good that they were all faithful Christians? As she admitted to taking another look at the course of her own life. Leslie Weatherspoon has compared the average lifespan of 70 years to the face of a clock. And I want you now to think about that because she said that according to that, birth is 6 o'clock in the morning and midnight is 70 years. If you are 15 years old, it is 851 If you are 30 years old, it is 1.25 p.m. Now, does that get your attention? 30 years old, it's already in the afternoon. If you are 40 years old, it is 4.16 p.m. It's almost quitting time for some people. You're just 40 years old. If you are 60 years old, it's 9.24 And if you are 70 years old, it is almost midnight. And if you are beyond, you are living on borrowed time. Someone has said, yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. The only, only today is ready cash. Someone is likened. Death, as for a Christian, as a child going to sleep on Christmas Eve, anticipating all of what's going to happen tomorrow. There's a poem 
by Betty Waller entitled The Moment After Death that I want to share with you. The moment after death, what will my eyes see? What will they look upon? What will there be? Will I see angels standing just waiting there for me? Oh, I wonder, what will my eyes see? The moment after death, what will I feel? As the door of life closes, and what death, and with death it is sealed, will there be the touch of the Master's hand so warm and so real? Oh, how I wonder, what will I feel? The moment after death, what then will I hear? Will it be the voice of angels singing wondrously clear and rejoicing of the saints as to God I draw near? Oh, how I wonder, what will my eyes hear? The moment after death, yes, I may often ponder and sometimes with awe imagine and wonder, but it's not until I walk death's journey alone down that strange path into God's great unknown that I'll truly begin to hear, feel, and see the mystery of death God created to be. On the other side, what will the Christian find? Two things, very briefly. First of all, my Lord, as he has promised that we will be where he is, John 14 and verse 3, and we will find God's grace. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The song asks the question, or it says, soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. And I tell you, the book of Revelation affirms Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. And in Revelation 22:20, 20, the passage says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Or, as one translation says, soon. I close with a single passage. Genesis 27 and verse 2. Isaac there said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. So it is. We know we will die, but we don't know the day of our death. The sermon this morning has been designed to cause every one of us to stop and examine our life. To see, am I ready to see the king? It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. If you are not ready to see the king, my admonition is get ready. If you need to repent of sins, confess the sweet name, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then submit to baptism, do it. Do it. Don't put it off. Or if you need to be restored, or if there's something that that is amiss, whatever, that the pure eye of God sees that's amiss, my, as I extend the invitation, I urgently tell you, respond to the invitation and get right with God. Please do so while together we stand and sing.